Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Haley Devlin is the founder of Embodied Recovery Community, an online space for women who want to fall in love with their recovery through community, embodiment, self-reflection, and service. She's also a somatic facilitator and educator, a sober coach, a ceremonialist, and a mother. As a woman in recovery herself for more than six years, she does this work because she knows that recovery gets to be about more than just putting down the drink drug dependency. Recovery gets to be a deeply spiritual and embodied experience, and it's a path that no one should have to walk alone. Her mission is to empower you with practices and support to come to know and fully inhabit your body as a safe and sacred space. So you can recovery in your sense of self-trust, your authenticity, sovereignty, intuition, and vibrancy. Her approach to facilitation merges science with the spirit in a way that is grounded, accessible, and trauma-informed. Haley and I go way back, and I mean way <laughs> <laughs> back to like my first kiss days in middle school, um, wasn't with (laughs) Haley, um, but you were probably there. Um, it's just been really beautiful to watch your journey and like stay connected all these years. I know I keep in touch with two people from that time in my life, you being one of them. So I'm just so happy to connect with you today and have you on the pod. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you? What's happening in your world? Tell me everything. Oh, so many things. I'm great right now. We're, um, we're visiting family, my husband's family, and they're such sweethearts and, uh, and having them here to help us with, with our daughter has, is like such a game changer. Like we've been sleeping in, we've been like doing yoga together. It's like been such a nourishing experience that I'm really enjoying. I love this for you. And it's so fun that you're a new mom. It's also been really beautiful to see how much you've accomplished in business as your first year as a new mom, because I was just having this conversation with Emery and she was talking to our mentor, Erin Weed, before she had her baby, Kailash. And she was saying, oh, I have to get this done before I have a baby, or I have to get this done before I have a baby. And Erin Weed was like, well, why, you know, like why, why? And she's like, oh, because the obvious. And Erin said, which I've been reflecting on as I'm starting my journey into motherhood or, you know, tipping my toes in the water. And she said, I challenge you to reflect on that because I, in fact, have gotten more done as a mom than ever before, because you have an entire new definition of time and how precious, how precious it is. And I'm just wondering, you know, have you found that? Have you been surprised by how much you're excited by your work? Totally. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, the first thing is that like motherhood has taught me how to be hyper efficient because it's <laughs> like, you're literally it's like, okay, great. I've got a 10 minute window here. What am I going to do with it? Hmm. Um, but I have been really surprised actually. And, you know, we'll get to talk more about body recovery community, I'm sure. But I launched, um, embodied recovery community, like five months after Rose was born. Yeah. It was so crazy to me because people would be like, how did you do that? And, um, and truth be told, I really feel like I birthed her into the world and like I opened this portal mm. and then I birthed a body recovery community into the world. And it almost felt like I was just like riding the fumes of that experience. And it was so wild because I look back at that and like, you know, the first few months of, of your first, I don't know what it's like to have a second child, but first child is like, you're figuring everything out. It's like, most of the time you feel like you're in survival. You're just like, oh my God, I have to keep this tiny human alive. Um, and so I look back at it and I'm like, I have no idea how I did it, but something, I just, I feel like something moves through you. And pa- Patrick and I talk about this a lot that it's like, it really feels like when you become a parent, or at least this is how it feels for us, it's like we're kind of gifted this extra life force from spirit mm-hmm. or something, you know? And we find ways to make things work that like, if you were to say to me like, oh, you're gonna have to do this, this, and this thing, you know, prior to being a parent, I'd be like, there's no way that's not possible, you know? But somehow we just, you figure it out, you know? Yeah, superhuman. Um, I've loved watching you really like baby your business, you know, and become a mom really at the same time, you've like up-leveled your whole life, um, Mm. in such a powerful way. And I've been watching Emery do the same thing. And as I'm thinking about starting a family soon, it's been like top of mind. And I've had to like, have a lot of conversations with my business to be like, Mm. you're my firstborn, like, don't worry. (laughs) Like I'm, you know, we're still in this together. And like, I'm just having so much gratitude as I reflect on what we've been able to accomplish, because as we're stepping into this new chapter, priorities will look different. So totally. totally. Yeah. But before we get too far down this path, I'd like to back up and ask you to share some, whatever feels important about your journey with recovery and how embodiment came about, um, and what it really is. And just talk to us about your life and how you got here. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah, man, what a, what a question. It's like, oh, where do I begin? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with my my sort of journey towards recovery um, before I knew that that's what was going to be happening in my life. But right. um, I, from a very young age, I I remember just being like deeply uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, and, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in a really loving home, um, but I also grew up in, in an alcoholic home. Um, and so, and, and we had a family of just a lot of drinkers um, and, and kind of casual weed smokers, drug users, all the things. And so, so um, from a really young age, I remember that that's kind of how I was taught to like handle like feelings basically like cope. Yeah. yeah. Cope with life. Um, it's like we would drink, you know, not we, but like they would drink, they're happy, sad, whatever, all the things. And, um, and, and, uh, and I really had no other coping skills. And so I sent a lot of my, I didn't understand it at the time, but I was like a highly anxious child and I was really insecure. Um, and I didn't have a lot of coping mechanisms. I played sports. I feel like sports was like one of my kind of saving graces, but and so anyway, I took my first drink when I was um, 15 years old. And, uh, and I remember like 
you know, blacking out and, and then waking up the next day and being like, I cannot wait to do that again. You know, yeah. like it was like, I remember it was like for the first time, it felt like the volume inside my body, like was turned down and I could, you know, interact with people without feeling awkward. And I could kind of be, you know, expressive in a way that I normally didn't feel like I was able to be expressive. And so um, pretty soon after that, you know, I was like drinking really regularly and it wasn't like, you know, I think there's a, a normal degree to which teenagers party and do all the things, but it was like, I would be at home on like a Tuesday night, stealing liquor from my parents' cabinets and then like passing out and then going to school the next morning. It's like, that's not normal, you know? Right. 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 <laughs> um, and so I just kind of continued on that way. I was actually like a pretty functional, uh, pretty functional alcoholic. And I didn't know I was an alcoholic, you know, I just thought that that was normal. And, um, and so, as I got older and kind of moved through my teenage years and I went off to college, I started getting into other drugs and this and that. And, uh, but still, you know, maintaining grades, like kind of maintaining my outward appearance. So nobody really questioned me. Right. Um, yeah. My, my external world was fine, but inside I was like slowly right. dying, you know? Yeah. Well, um, as I reflect back on that time, it just, my memories of you obviously include, you know, losing a close friend mm-hmm. and also, being on the track. Like if I close my eyes and think about you, it's like with that track coach, I forget his name, Henderson, Mr. Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. And just like superstar athlete, you Mm, know, and just really that's, and, and we were close, like we were close friends. And of course I have memories of us like sneaking like the hookah or weed or whatever, but (laughs) I was just reflecting on this with another friend of mine. We actually have lost a friend um, to alcoholism. And we went to college with her and just reflecting Mm -hmm. back on like, at that point, everyone was getting fucked up, Totally, you know? And so it's really hard to even now knowing, looking back on our time together or my time with this friend that was recently, um, you know, we recently were talking about, it's still even like, well, would I have done anything differently? Like, is like, there were no, warning signs, you know, outward. And I think that that's like such a big lesson for me now and looking at people who are in recovery and who I want to support in recovery is like the writing's not always on the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's so true. And, um, and I think that, and you know, that's also part of why I love embodiment work because it's so much about learning how to both feel, understand, and be able to express what's happening in your inner world. You know, I think we can do that thing where it's like, we see somebody and we're like, oh, their life looks together. Like I see them, they seem happy, this and that. And like, we can have no idea what's happening in, in, right. their, in our inner life, you know? And, um, and, and I, and I think that part of that is because we're not really taught how to have those conversations. We're not given language necessarily to describe. And like, I know for me, when I first got sober, it was like, if you were to ask me how I was feeling, like I truly had a hard time identifying at first, right. you know? Um, and so, yeah, but I think that that's so true is, is that somebody can, and I think that's also one of the things about coming into recovery is that we can, you know, and everybody has their own journey. And, and so I can only speak about mine, but it's like, for me for so long, I'd be like, oh, but I have this you know, high paying art world job in New York city. And so like, I'm fine, you know, um, it's like other people that are like in the gutter that like have this problem, but not me. And like, I couldn't really see, um, the ways in which alcohol and drugs were causing me to deeply suffer, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that happens for a lot of people because we live in a world that, that often, um, focuses on the external, you know? And that's why I love your work so much is because you're so focused on like authenticity and like, what is it 
actually bring the truth of your experience out into the world and to share that. And, and we need that. And so, yeah. And, and that's what I love about recovery, but, um, but yeah, so, so kind of had the, had the, you know, normal looking life on the outside and high paying job and all the things and graduated from a great college and all this kind of stuff. And, and then I, but I was also slowly getting really into opiates. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's really what took me out. Cause what would happen is I would like be drinking and then maybe I'd start doing cocaine and I'd be like, okay, the drinking is a problem. So I'm just going to switch to this drug. And I'd be like, that drug's a problem. I'm just going to switch to this drug. And so I kept bouncing around being like, okay, well, I don't have a problem. So I can put this thing down, you know? Totally. <laughs> the stories we tell else. ourselves. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, but opiates is like really what took me out. And by the time I, um, I actually got sober, like I had been, I'd attempted rehab three times and, um, and I was like, and I ended up being just homeless living in Oakland, um, in a van with these two kids panhandling every day for, for money no idea. Yeah. It was really gnarly in the end. Um, and, yeah. I, and it's, yeah. And it's funny. Like I, I remember I would sometimes be on the streets and I would, a lot of times I would like walk around Bart and ask people for money and stuff. And I would just pray that I didn't see somebody that we grew up with. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, and so, um, I think what actually, yeah, what, uh, the kind of final straw for me was that I, um, had been using with somebody that we also both know from high school, but, um, and we'd been in a friendship for a period of time. And anyway, he ended up overdosing twice in one week and I had to like, you know, call 911 and all this stuff. And he's okay now and he's sober now, which is so beautiful. But, um, but I realized during that period of time, like, okay, I have, I have two choices. Like I can get sober or I can probably, I can probably die. I'll probably die this way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had a kind of desperation that humbled me enough to really seek support. I'd been trying to do things by myself for a long time. Um, and, and I couldn't, you know, um, none of us can, we need, we need people, you know? And so, um, and my family and my friends were as supportive as they could be, but you know, you, there's only so much you can do when somebody is not willing to ask for help. And that's right. kind of how I was for a long time. And so anyway, I finally became willing to ask for help and, um, and yeah, I ended up getting sober in 2015. I've been sober ever since. And I like, yeah, I just can't say enough about how much I love being sober. Um, it's just the best ever. And I feel, yeah, more kind of, uh, proud of who I am as a person today than I ever have. And it's funny how the things that can once be like great, your greatest sources of shame can also eventually become your greatest gifts. And that's definitely how I feel about, about my journey and my experience. Yeah. I know you have talked about like wounds turning into like moments and opportunities to heal. So Mm -hmm. I'd love you to talk more about that because I think that that's so important. And and just share more about like what it's like being sober. Obviously you're alive and like, that's a great baseline, but now you have to be alive sober and, and what that is like considering, you know, probably a lot of your friendships and community and relationships were like strongly tied to your addiction. So, you know, now what? kind of thing, I guess is my mm-hmm. question. Like now what is a day to day, you know, it's been six years. Mm-hmm. How, how are you? <laughs> um, I mean, I, all things considered like how the world is, which is just so, I mean, gosh, um, that's a whole other <laughs> track of conversation we could go down, but all things considered, I, I I'm well, 
you know, I really am well. And, and, uh, so much of that is, is because of the life I've been able to build as a result of my recovery. You know, um, I have incredible people in my life who are deeply supportive and, and most of my friends are sober, although they don't need to be. Um, I don't like, uh, yeah, but most of them just are cause I've met most of them in recovery and, and my partner's sober and, mm. Um, I get to do work in the world that feels deeply meaningful as a result of my sobriety. I get to be present for my daughter. Like she'll never have to see me drink. Like that's crazy. You know? Yeah. Um, it's such a gift. Yeah. It's really such a gift. Um, and you know, as far as like wounds becoming our kind of medicine and our gifts in the world, I mean, I think, you know, my, my story is, is my story and mine, you know, the wounding, I mean, the wounding began long before. I entered into recovery, you know, like I, I think, and I, and it took me a long time to understand that, that so much of why I used in the first place was my best attempt to self-regulate. You know, I had a a lot of unresolved trauma and things that I've had to work through and continue to have self-medicate, you know, like I, I find too, that I self, I was self-medicating with THC, like for so long before Mm -hmm. I even realized that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. You know, I also, I'm, I'm what they call, which Demi Lovato calls California sober, <laughs> which my, which one of my sober family members who I cannot out because AA, mm-hmm. um, which I'm learning all these new rules. I am, you know, very close with a lot of sober people. And he likes to remind me on a regular basis that I'm not sober and that I just mm. don't drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's good. But I just think that for so long, it's, it's not even about escaping. It's actually about Mm -hmm. medicating. And for me, even with THC specifically, it was like made me more present and made me feel more myself, at least at the time when we don't have any other tools. So I love what your community is all about because it's like getting these tools and I'm doing the same thing in business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even though our businesses or our communities look so different. It's like providing people this like smorgasbord of like healing tools for their kit so that they can like pick up what feels in alignment and resonance for them and use that as a tool, as a ritual, as self-care. And so I think providing the tools is like even becoming aware that there are other tools is totally so important. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate you speaking to that because I also think it's like, you know, I think so much of my, my journey has been also about like learning how to not, you know, judge how, what other tools a person uses, you know, like right. if a person, if it, you know, the, yeah. And just, as you say, it's like certain, you know, drugs, alcohol, it's like, those things are my tools and they worked for a period of time. And I actually have like a deep, reverence now for those tools because they kept me like they helped me survive in a way where I had no other survival school skills. And so it's like those become tools. But then yes, it's like when, you know, for for me and, and other folks who are in recovery, it's like, okay, we get to develop new tools that serve in a different way. Cause eventually those tools, and you just named it for yourself, right? It's like the, those tools stop working after oh, yeah. a while. Yeah. And then they're not tools anywhere. They're actually like deeply detrimental and damaging to your mind, body, and spirit. And so, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful now to get to offer tools, different tools to other people, because I feel like that's been so, so huge and transformative for me. Yeah. And I thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal story. I think it's really powerful just to hear 
other people's stories. And even as a friend, like hearing that makes me really sad, but just also really proud. Um, and just really like reflective on the, like just on judging a book by its cover and, and what's really going on and just like leaving space as humans to potentially, you know, that there's another experience going on that we might not know about. And like now, obviously I'm so aware and I have so many tools, like too many tools, one might say, <laughs> but I can like read a text message from someone and be like, oh, they're unwell. Yeah. Totally. And just like have so much compassion. Like, yes. whereas five years ago, even I would be like, this is about me, like yes. go down like this whole thing. And so I just think that also now being able to step back and see like so many people and have so much compassion and just understand that everyone's truly in their own journey. Yeah. And it's really sometimes the most helpful thing you can do is just have compassion for that and and step in, you know, when it feels appropriate, which I do want to ask you about. But before we get into that and how we can support the people in our lives, I want to talk about um, your embodiment, recover, embodied recovery community, community for me on the spiritual path, especially, which feels a lot like recovery in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, from like lifetimes for me. And it's so much about the community. And like one of my spiritual teachers always talks about like the Sangha or the people you surround yourself with on the path, actually being like the most important thing. And we were just talking before I hit record about my retreat and like sitting in community with women and how healing that was for me and for everyone there. I mean, there was female friendship wounds being healed. There was mother Mm -hmm. wounds being healed. Mm -hmm. There was business, there was worthiness, there was money mindset. I mean, the medicine of sitting in community with women. So please share about your community and what it is and your why, and just how we can join who it's for. Like, give me the lowdown. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Gosh. So embodied recovery community, embodied recovery community is a community for women who are really participating um, or recovering from participating in any kind of destructive behaviors, you know, and I've intentionally um, left it really open because I think that, you know, we can, you know, so for me, my entry into recovery is substance use, but the longer that I've stayed sober, the more I realize like there's so many other things that are underneath that, you know, there's like codependence to work through. Like I can get addicted to my phone, you know, like I can, I can get addicted to so many different ways of checking out and not being here. Um, and we all have ways that we cope. And I feel like at the end of the day, the kind of essence of, of the the suffering is the same. I mean, of course we all have our own unique experiences and, and, and they're they're suffering from, you know, things like systems of oppression and stuff that not everybody experiences in the same way. And so I'm not trying to provide like a, a blanket statement, but at the end of the day, like we're ultimately all recovering from something, whether it's substance use, whether it's friggin' capitalism, like all, all the things, you know? And so, um, and I feel like when we can come together under that umbrella, under this, like knowing that, okay, we are all here to grow and to heal together and to be in these spaces where we get to practice being vulnerable and being seen and seeing other people and being witnessed for who and how we are and learning what it means to be in our bodies, you know, coming back to what you were talking about, about feeling like having your own tools is giving you more compassion for other people. You can read a text and be like, okay, this person's unwell. It's like the more connected to my body I am, the more connected I also am to other bodies, the more I can read how somebody is feeling or existing in the world and thus be able to bring a greater sense of like 
yeah, just as you say, compassion, connection, rather than making it about me, it's like, oh, how can I support this other person? And, and that's what we all ultimately need when we come into recovery. You know, I, I, I think I mentioned before, it's like, I tried to do recovery. I tried to get sober so many times by myself, you know, and it just doesn't work that way. Like we need community in order to recover. Um, and that's, I think that's part of the journey is recognizing our own interdependence and kind of like rejecting the lone wolf model that I think we're often fed in our culture a lot of times, you know? And yeah. so the community was really birthed because I wanted to be able to provide that space for folks, you know, and I also wanted to be able to provide, you know, I've been in recovery now for <clears throat> almost seven years and I've been in a lot of different recovery spaces. And I personally love 12 step and also recognize that it has its flaws, certainly. Um, and part of why I created this was because I wanted there to be another space that people could also go to not in a, I've never intended for it to be a replacement for 12 step, rather like a kind of, um, uh, complement to it. Um, yeah. but a, a place that's, you know, more trauma informed, a place that's more centered around embodiment, um, a place that people can come and still be fed and fueled in the ways that other recovery spaces might, um, might nourish us. Um, but I saw some kind of gaps in what was available. And, um, and I would like to talk more about that actually, yeah. because yeah. I have a friend who is sober and has relapsed a few times and she has actually felt really like alienated and isolated from 12 step. And yeah. we talked about this Unfortunately, once I hit pause on the last, she was on this pod and, and we hit pause and then all, all of a sudden all this stuff came out and I was like, mm. okay, I need to revisit that conversation because mm. there's a lot, you know, I have, I love AA and I love 12 step and I also love, um, Al-Anon. Like, I think that there's so much beauty, but for me, the anonymousness of it is mm. almost like against my internal compass of community and sharing and Gemini-ness and truth. Mm. And like, mm -hmm. I'm just like hearing John Lennon, give me some truth. <laughs> and it just like feels for me, almost like this, like it's still a little bit taboo or still a little bit shameful to like, not want to talk about it. And what I mm. love about your community and like following you on Instagram is like, you make it fun. Like mm. you make it even funny, like how you like make fun of yourself sometimes. Like when you had a drinking problem with like a Kim Kardashian meme <laughs> and it just like makes it less heavy. Mm. And I was reflecting yeah. with this friend of mine on how, like, you know, it's always about how, like, you know, celebrating these milestones and then you relapse <laughs> and almost feeling like she's been like, like they'll be mad or like it, mm. it won't, it won't be like supported in the same way. Yeah. And then at the same time I have, you know, another, I just have a lot of friends that either like love it, that's it, mm -hmm. or like feel alienated and are doing totally. it on their own. Yeah. And so I too see that gap yeah. within my own community because I have so many friends in recovery and on the path. And mm -hmm. I think that what you are providing is a much needed space to like stand in it and mm. be able to say like, I'm in this recovery group. I, you know, like I'm work and like promote it, um, mm. and share about it because I think that what 12 step is, is so powerful, even for people like myself who don't consider myself, you know, having a drinking problem. But I think all of the steps are like, I wish everybody could. <laughs> the 12, totally. You Absolutely. Know? And yeah. so there's just like, um, 
almost like not an eliteness. I hate to use that word because it saved so many people's lives, but it feels less accessible Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in some ways if you're not wanting to follow like that standard 12-step approach. And so I'm so grateful (laughs) that you're providing like an additional space, like you said, not in lieu of, but more Mm -hmm. like as a companion to, or as a complement to the 12 step. And also that you're expanding it beyond just recovering from substance abuse or alcohol. So I would like to talk about that a little bit more and like what recovery really means. Cause you mentioned, you know, recovering from any type of self inflicting or destructive habit, but what does this actually show up as in the community? And what are some of the tools that no matter what you're in recovery from, have you seen to be like the most beneficial for people? Mm, Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. I mean, so I think that I I feel like I'm in this interesting, um, I don't know that it's a phase, but just a kind of chapter that I've entered into personally where I'm actually like really about depathologizing stuff um, because I feel like we pathologize the, can I swear on the podcast? Um, Okay. Yeah, we pathologize the shit out of stuff, you yeah. know, and 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 and, there, and, there, and there's a place for it, and and so it's you know it's never black and white; it's also nuanced. But but um, you know, it, for the sake of like labels, I suppose a lot of the people that come into reco- the recovery community currently are in recovery from something like substance abuse, codependence. We have some people who are in recovery from disordered eating. We have people who are in recovery from um, like love addiction, <clears throat> for example. Um, but you know, again, at the end of the day, it's like, we're all having this human experience where we've come into a place of suffering so deeply. And we recognize that we don't want to be there anymore. And yet in order to move out of it, we need certain things, you know, mm-hmm. coming back to like what recovery, uh, the recovery community is really about. It's like, there's four pillars, there's community because we need community. There's embodiment and practice. Um, and that, and I'll t- come back to that. Um, cause that's been hugely transformative for folks. There's self-reflection, you know, I think an honest self-reflection. And so there's like, we have journal prompts every month. And I think that that's a big thing too, is that sometimes people want to self-reflect, but they don't really know what questions to ask or what to, what to look for, or even where to begin those kinds of conversations or exploration. Um, and then there's service, you know, because service, service for me has completely transformed my experience of recovery because, you know, I came into recovery and to, to be, truth be told, it was like most of my life was like, okay, it, it's all about me, 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 me. Um, and that was part of my own suffering and my own stuff, right? I was like so wrapped up in self all the time. And part, that part of that was generating suffering, you know, in, in and of itself. But, and so once I realized like, oh, I'm recovering so that I can be a good person in the world and be of service to other people and right. offer the gifts that I have to offer to hopefully help somebody else the way that I was helped and supported, you know? And so, so those are the kind of four components of what the community is about. Um, and you know, the, the pieces that I feel like have been the most transformative, or at least that we talk about the most in our gatherings are certainly community, um, and the ways in which we get to, uh, uh, just share vulnerably and, and, and witness one another. Um, and we have certain, um, I call them rules of counsel, but essentially they're kind of like tenants of, of, of creating the space together, you know, and one of them is like, whatever is arising in you is actually not a problem. It's, it's information as to 
what needs to be tended to in this moment. You know, I think sometimes we come in and we're having a difficult experience and we're taught a lot in the world to like, oh, those are the parts we hide away. Right. And to me, so much of recovery is like learning how to actually bring your whole self to the table and treat it as sacred, right? It's like, it's not about fragmenting anymore. It's about that return to wholeness um, and being able to hold all the parts of yourselves as equally valuable and as equally, um, you know, worth being seen by other people. And so, you know, we, that's one of our tenets. And then we also have this kind of, there's six of them and I won't go into every single one, but an, another one of them is that we have this space where it's like, we can either consent is a big thing um, that we have in our community, but it's like, you can say like, okay, I just want to be heard. And so it's like, maybe you just there to be witness to community, or you can say like, I'm open to some feedback or I'm open to some dialogue. And that allows the community to kind of engage with one another and provide like the sweetest feedback and like affirmation. Yeah. And so that piece has been so beautiful. We come into ceremony together once a month, but we have like 10 other gatherings throughout the month. Um, And so those are the spaces where we get to really kind of craft that shared space of, of, um, of uh, support and, and, um, and, and, Uh, really like a deep mutual respect. I think when you all come in under the understanding that we're here to recover, there's like a deep mutual respect and an ability to be like, I see you wherever you are on your path, whatever it is that you're going through. Like I've been there too. And I see you and we're here to like, let that, that, let that come forth as opposed to hiding in a way because so much of, you know, for me, addiction, at least, and whatever destructive behaviors we have often, um, means that we're spending a lot of time hiding. We're spending a lot of time in secrecy, you know, and, and we can't, you know, there's like a saying that they have in 12 step program. That's like our secrets keep us sick, you know? And so we like need a safe space to be able to come and, and, and share and, and be open and honest about who we are. So that's been a really powerful part of the experience. And then embodiment, embodiment has been I mean, God, like we could just have, like, I can talk about it. Well, that was my next question (laughs) is like, talk. I literally says, ask her to talk about embodiment and her practice. So what feels important to share about this? Because I, I feel that we get into sort of embodiment movement, physical practice, oftentimes for us anyway, I came into it through like a desire to be fit, not to feel good. And now embodiment for me is just like yin and restorative and just like what it, what, what do you mean by embodiment and, Mm -hmm. and what are the practices that you, that you share? Yeah. Great question. Gosh. I mean, it's, it's so, um, it's so vast. Um, and so, I mean, God, which thread do I want to pull on? You know? So, I mean, in, in the simplest terms, embodiment is to fully inhabit our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of, you know, sort of destructive behaviors, things we come into recovery to recover from, um, uh, are a lot about being disembodied, being disconnected from ourselves, from other people, from whatever it is that we believe in that's bigger than us. Um, and in order and, and we're hiding, right. We're not engaged in the world. And, and so how else do we engage with the world? We engage with the world through our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for so many people, and so embodiment's actually kind of a funny thing to be honest, because it's like, well, of course we're always embodied, but like we exist in a body. And yet so many people will say and talk about how they experience this sense of feeling disconnected from their bodies and just not even really understanding the language of their bodies, you know? And so like an example that I'll often give is that, um, 
you know, say we're experiencing anxiety and there's a scale of one to 10, like most people, not, I won't say most, many people often won't really recognize or be super conscious of the fact that they're experiencing anxiety until they're already at like a seven, you know, but anxiety has been slowly building in their system for a while. The more embodied we become, the more interoceptively aware we become. And, and interoception is like awareness of our bodies from the inside. Mm-hmm. So things like our heartbeat or our stomach grumbling, right. But we're, but we're not really taught to look past that. Um, but but we can't, there's so much more to what we feel in our bodies. And so the more interoceptive and embodied we become, like the more I start to notice anxiety when it's at like a two, Mm -hmm. I I feel certain sensations or I notice thought patterns that are starting to arise. And when it's at a two, I have so much more agency to do something about it. You know, whereas when it's at like a 10, it's like, oh my God, to reel ourselves back in from that is so difficult. And And so so hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and just, and, and the come down, from allowing ourselves, I feel our mutual friend, Stassi, how we met mm. or not how we met, how I met Stassi mm-hmm. is through you. And she talks about how it takes our nervous systems 48 hours to come down from a fight or flight response. Totally. And so that was like really insane for me to hear because I'm having a fight or flight response every day, which means my nervous system's never coming down. Totally. Yeah. And I have yeah. not been in parasympathetic for maybe a hundred years yeah. until the last few months when she said that. And I was like, holy shit. And now I'm like, to be pregnant, you need to be in your parasympathetic to receive. You need to be in your, like, I'm missing out on life because I'm having this fight or flight response all the time. And so many of us live in that space. And like, to come back to what you said earlier about suffering, it's almost like we get used to it, Yeah, which is so sad that we don't even know that there's another way or that recovery from X is even an option. And to like be informed earlier, like when we do feel that flutter in the heart or do, like you said, those earlier warning signs or thought Mm -hmm. patterns or things that come up for us that we can actually learn how to manage much sooner before we go into that, like fight or flight response. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you're talking about that because I'm like the biggest nerd about the nervous system and we talk Same. about it all the time. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so, and that's like a, a big part of our work is like, okay, so how do we generate safety in the body? Um, and so, in, you know, embodiment, embodiment for me began with yoga, but it's expanded to so far beyond that for me. And so we'll do different practices of like literally generating safety in our systems. And and, um, and moving more into that, like, I mean, so I won't get too far into like polyvagal theory and stuff, but parasympathetic, there's the kind of like, we have two different, we have like an old paradigm of nervous system, which is like sympathetic and parasympathetic. And we understand it's a little more complex than that now. And so all to say, like, I tend to talk more about ventral vagal, which is a form of parasympathetic, but we practice, um, different, uh, embodiment practices all the time, uh, to cultivate moving more into that ventral vagal place, because that's the place from which, as you said, it's like, we experience a sense of ease. We experience safety. We experience any kind of effortless capacity to connect with other people. We feel grounded. And most people don't, I won't say most, again, many people like don't experience that a lot. And it's such a shame. And, and coming back to, you know, what I came into recovery from, it's like, that's what I spent my whole life doing is trying to self-regulate my nervous system. And I just had no other tools. And so totally. totally. And so that's been a huge part of the embodiment work that we do as a community. And we learn 
I, I like to bring in new things often because I am often learning new things and I'm forever a student and like, just like live for this work in general. But we also try to really have certain practices that are foundations because I think that we live in a world that's really like, um, there's just so much out there. And so we're accustomed to being like, oh, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And we can have like a kind of, uh, what is it? What's the saying? Like be spread thin with what we know. But there's something about also coming back to certain practices again and again and again, where we really get to cultivate mastery and that's ultimately what I'm hoping you know folks in their community are getting to move towards is that mastery and so we have mastery of embodiment yeah totally you're that sets you up for so much more just ease and flow with life and you know in your spiritual practice in your motherhood you know Mm -hmm. becoming the mother archetype I can't envision like a better foundation for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just like relationships in general, right? Like you're know, coming back to talking about the nervous system. It's like, before I understood what was happening in my nervous system and in my body, I, I'm, we're just unconsciously run by it, you know? And so like, for example, I would move into fight and I would be like upset at my partner for something. Right. And in the past, before I was, was in a practice of, you know, in my own kind of embodiment practice, I would get activated and then spew out some sort of not nice thing, you right. know, and then, and then that's not helpful. And then that's just, well, we're, the well, we're Gemini. So that's yeah. <laughs> true. And I'm double Gemini cause I'm Gemini sun and rising, but that's a whole other story. Really? Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah. I love that for you though. Yeah. Um, but so I would get, you know, activated, I would say something that wasn't nice or just whatever the thing. And it's like now, because I'm connected to my body, if I'm feeling activated or, you know, he says something that elicits a certain emotion in me, I'm able to pause and be like, okay, like I'm in fight right now. And I actually don't need to respond from this place. So I'm going to like, take a moment and be like, go take a few breaths and then come back to the conversation and be able to maintain some sense of equanimity and enter into that space in with so much more uh, connection, you know? And I feel like that's really what embodiment is at the end of the day. It's like this invitation into intimacy with ourselves and with other people, you know? And so, um, and so, yeah, I love to be able to, to uh, co-create with those spaces for, for other folks. Yeah. I think it's so powerful to this community and what you've built and what you're talking about, because you did touch on it, but I do think that when you, or if I've, I don't personally know, but for my friends in recovery, like when you decide to stop using or drinking, that's really just the first step. Like we are doing that because of wounds and because we want to escape from other things. So Mm -hmm. like actually facing it head on and having these tools not including the ones that we've used for so long, totally. you know, actually ends up healing you completely holistically, like just quitting drinking. You know, there's a Ram Das saying about meat and he talks about like, if you want to quit eating meat, but you just think about not eating meat every single day. And that's all you think about is not eating meat. Then like, as you're going into the beyond, beyond enlightenment, there's going to be like a huge steak sitting there waiting for you. Like, <laughs> You know, so it's almost like you may as well just eat the fucking steak um, if that's where you're at, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think that for people, and this is a great segue, like my two questions for you um, is really about one, like you said, it's really hard to help people 
um, even though you love them deeply, if they're not asking for it, if they're not ready for it. So like, if you do know somebody in your life that like, you're listening to this right now, Mm -hmm. and I can think of a couple of people off the top of my head Mm -hmm. and how can you as a support system, as a friend, like, what is the right thing to do? I think the old school way of doing it or the way that we all know is like an intervention, which feels like Mm. really extreme, but Mm. like, is it sharing this podcast with someone? Like what is the first step in supporting people in your community that you feel could really benefit from this work, from this community, from, you know, addressing that their tools may not be saving them. Mm, Yeah. And so your question is like from the perspective of the person that's wanting to support. Yeah. Because my next question is going to be about if you are feeling resonance with this and wanting Mm -hmm. to take the next step for yourself. But I'm asking from my standpoint, because I personally am like, wow, there's so many people that I like, since I quit drinking, it feels like everyone's drunk. everyone is drunk. Like Mm -hmm. it is such an acceptable thing in our culture. Yet if I go outside to smoke a joint, I'm like a stoner, you know? (laughs) And it's like so weird, but everyone, it feels to me as though everyone has a drinking problem as soon as I stopped drinking. And I look around and I'm like, everyone is drunk all the time. Mm. And like friends that I used to hang out with, I don't see as much because every activity is like boozy brunch, like wine tasting, this, 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 like everyone is drinking all the time. And so as somebody that is not, it's just become more obvious to me how ingrained it is in our culture so that it looks like it may feel as though it's completely normal and Mm -hmm. acceptable when in reality, I can see people in my world that are suffering and like, is there anything I can do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I think every, every relationship and person and dynamic is so different, but I think that, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing that we can do is just let them know that we're there, you know, and that might look like, you know, asking a asking a question and it doesn't need to be a confrontational necessarily. Um, but you can just ask, like, you know, if you're noticing whatever, some kind of a behavior or the substance that they're drinking or partaking in, and they're showing some sort of signs of their suffering, like just be straightforward about it. You know, I think that, uh, I think that we can be afraid to say those things because we're, we're like, or at least for me, I guess I'll say like, I was taught that like, you just don't ask, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's like none of your business. And like, that's it, like intrusive or something like that. But what I've actually learned from being on the other end of it is that it's like, we deeply want to be asked. Like we want to be able to say to somebody like, no, I'm, I'm like hurting right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we're not, I'm not, I wasn't always in every moment necessarily ready for that, but largely like, I remember having so many thoughts of like, why is nobody saying is nobody concerned right now. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And so even just coming from a loving space, and I think that's the key, right? Is it's like, it's so much about how you present what you're, what you're saying or what you're asking about. And if it's coming from a loving place, I think that that makes all the difference. If it's coming from like um, an angry, and I think that sometimes that happens, you know, like I had family members that were really angry 
angry with me, understandably so. But it's like, if it were to come from them, it's like, that's not going to be helpful for me because that my defenses, instead of speaking of the nervous system, are just like immediately right. up. Right. But it's like, if it's a, if it's like an intimate friendship or somebody that you really care about, that's somewhat neutral that, you know, it's just coming from a place of care. I think that there's, you know, there's no harm in asking certainly. And then they just know, and they might not be ready to talk about it, but then they know like, okay, they're there and they see me and they understand what's happening. And so down the line, perhaps you're that safe person that they can come to. Yeah. And I think two things, two thoughts off of that is one, I think on the spiritual path, sometimes it can be a little bit harmful in the sense that we want to be so accepting of other people's paths and other Mm -hmm. people's like karmic experiences that sometimes it can be a little bit bypassy totally because I'll hear people be like, Oh, well they're on their own path. And like, it's not my, it's not my job to intervene. And like, I totally understand that, but I also feel like what you said, you know, into, in being in service to the other, especially as women, Mm -hmm. um, when we see someone in our community suffering, it can be impossible for me anyway, not to want to say something and not to want to at least offer my support in that way. So I like the way that you said it, just, you know, letting people know that you're there and like, if they are suffering or if they do need something to know that you're a safe space. And I think that can be a really nice mantra for us in the world that love people, you know, and have a deep love. There's so many people suffering right now. Like you said, it's a really hard time, especially to be alone. If you do have a drinking problem and if you are a substance abuser, like we're alone a lot right now. And like, that can be really scary. So I just think my new mantra for that can be like, may I be a safe space, you know, and and just make sure they know that you are a safe space and, and that's it because there's just no judgment. And what I've really realized is addiction truly is a disease. And we don't treat it as such. Mm-hmm. I think us, us people are, what do you, what are we called? Normies Yeah, or normies. People, <laughs> yeah, that, um, you know, don't identify as, you know, in recovery or an alcoholic. And I think that we forget, you know, that, that it is a sickness. And if, if somebody, you know, had diabetes or was like being hospitalized for something else, it just looks really different. And just like remembering that I think for me has been really powerful too. It's like, it, they're sick, you know, totally. and, and you take care of people who are sick and, Absolutely. and that's like a yeah. promise that we make to humanity. So yeah. that's really powerful. And I'm really yeah. glad we got to talk about it so much. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing, obviously, did you have something you want to say about that? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to come back around to something really quickly because I, I thought you said something so important, which was this idea that like, sometimes would be like on our path and be like, okay, well they're on their path right. and it can become kind of bypassy. And to me, like, that's also another opportunity to c- consider our own embodiment. Right. Because a lot of times when we're bypassing in that way, it's actually our own inability to be with discomfort that's preventing us from reaching out. Right. And the more disconnected we are from our bodies, the more disconnected we are from that discomfort. And we're also doing everything we can to avoid feeling that discomfort, which often means like not having the conversation. Right. Because maybe we're like, Ooh, and when it's like happens in the name of like, Oh, this is in the name of letting people follow their path. But it's, but also, you know, as humans. And I also think like, especially, you know, as, as women, it's like, we have that deep intuition. Like we have that nurturing capacity where it's like, we know that something is wrong. That's an embodied feeling that we have. Mm -hmm. And the more embodied we are, the better able we are to really listen to that. And also the more embodied we are, the better able we are to like feel the discomfort and still do the right thing anyway. Right. And so, yeah, I think that that's, 
it's just, it feels important to name that because I think that, and I think that, you know, I don't judge the people that have that experience of wanting to bypass. We all do it in our own ways and have our, our, our stuff to learn around it. But all to say that I feel like that's just another like opportunity to like consider the way in which embodiment is like so vital, both for it all comes back, you know, it always comes back to that. So my, my next sort of question, and, and this is really like my, it's not like if you're resonating with this, because I think everyone listening is going to resonate with a piece of this conversation, because like you said, we're all recovering. Like we are all just walking each other home. We are all recovering from something, whether it's this lifetime or another, like we come into this world, many of us with baggage, and then it just gets heavier and heavier as we go through life. And so for somebody that's like deeply resonating with this and like really wanting to step into their embodiment, but might maybe feels absolutely terrified. Obviously the answer is to come join your community and, Mm -hmm. you know, to at least check you out and stuff like that. But really like, what is your prayer and hope for people that are just stepping into, you know, where you were maybe six years ago and are finding you or resonating with your content and are like, that's me. Mm -hmm. Um, because you are really vulnerable and sharing a lot about your, you know, substance abuse and what that maybe looked like for you and how it influenced people around you. And so if somebody's like, holy shit, having a moment, what's your prayer? What's the first step? What's, you know, your hope by providing this kind of information for people? Mm, Yeah. Mm. I'm just going to kind of check into my own body. I think a prayer that comes to mind is just that they may find the courage to reach out to even one person um, and be honest. And, you know, some people are very uh, privileged in that they have folks to reach out to, you know, Um, and some people aren't. Um, Some people don't have that support. um, And that might mean reaching out to a stranger, you know, and that's so difficult. Um, But that really is, in my mind, and in my experience, the first step. Um, and, and so, you know, my prayer is just that they, that they may find the courage and, and that they may find that person that feels maybe not even totally safe, but safe enough um, to be honest and ask for help. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and then what was the other part of your question? Well, my first part, I mean, that was really a question is like, if you are feeling like deeply in resonance with this and that, you know, you're ready to step into that healing. Cause like you said, you really mm-hmm. have to be ready to ask and ready to step in. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're welcoming people with open arms into yeah. embodiment. When is the next open enrollment? Like how do people join forces mm-hmm. with you, collaborate with you, step into this work with you? Yeah. Yeah. So enrollment for the community opens again on January 1st, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, and I also do uh, one-on-one, you know, sober coaching support. Um, and I, really I combine kind of maybe, I don't want to say traditional, but a sort of for lack of a better word, like traditional sober coaching with somatic work. Um, and so that's certainly a possibility. And I will say like every, every case is so different, you know, some people may need more than that. Um, and so I don't want to, you know, give any illusions that, that 
I or the community is like the be all end all for somebody who's maybe super newly in, in recovery, particularly from, for, particularly from substance abuse, you know, cause sometimes we need like detox or rehabs or totally. whatever, totally. but, um, but they can totally, um, yeah, start enrollment January first. Um, and in the meantime, people can find me on Instagram, um, my personal accounts, uh, at Haley Devlin, H A L I E D E V L I N. Um, and yeah, we have such an awesome group of women right now. We have like almost 40 women from across the country. And I'm like, every time I step into a space with them, I'm just like, what? these people are incredible, like such open and full, and just honest hearts and are like really there in such earnest. And, um, and it's just such a, yeah, it, I, I, I'm like, even though I'm kind of like the holder of the space in a sense, it's like, it feels very much like a co-creative process and everybody in the community has so much to offer. I mean, everybody in the world has like, we all have so much to offer. And so totally. yeah. I, I feel that so, so deeply. And I'm just so proud of you and in awe of you that this is what you're doing. And this is what you're like dedicating your life's work to. It's like really, really powerful to see and witness and support. And I mean, there's just nothing like we started this conversation Ask you were asking me about my retreat and there's just nothing better than women or people, you know, in community holding space for one another and supporting one another. And it's just beautiful to witness. And I'm just so grateful to know of a space like yours that exists so that I can be that safe space for someone, but also like introduce them to you in this way. And I just applaud what you do and putting yourself out there because it's vulnerable and powerful at the same time. And I just like see the pride in which you share about your sober journey and healing and all that you've been able to accomplish beyond. So I'm just like, so happy to know you and um, be able to to have this honest conversation on the pod because it sometimes takes like a deep knowing and a deep respect. And it's hard to have this kind of conversation with a stranger. Totally. Um, so <laughs> the fact we've known each other for 20 years. I know that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Even when you were saying the thing of like how you remember me as like track and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, she knows she's known me for so long. I like imagine you on the track. I can remember what your room looks like. We were like hookahing before <laughs> some event, you know, just like up to no good. And yeah. here we are still up to no good, but in a, in a much like different sense of the word, yeah. still, still disrupting, awesome way. Yeah, yeah, still, still disrupting, disrupting awesome still way. healing, but in, I would say a, a way of service and yes. And it's really beautiful. And I'm just so grateful. Okay. Just a couple rapid fire questions for my own, um, you know, knowledge and for people to know what are you currently reading or Mm. what's like the last amazing book you would recommend? Yes. I'm currently reading, um, becoming supernatural by Joe Dispenza. Yeah. I'm like really obsessed with Joe Dispenza right now. (laughs) Cool. I love that. I love that. Okay. Currently reading Joe Dispenza. What are you mostly or who inspires you the most right now? I would say in the digital space. So like not, Mm. you can't say your daughter or your partner, like somebody that you follow online that you're like, that makes me feel good. And Mm -hmm. I recommend following this person. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So two of my teachers, one of them, her name's Usha Anandi, but her account is Woman Wellness. It's spelled W-O-M-B-E-N, like womb. Mm-hmm. Women wellness. She's doing incredible work in the world. 
Um, and then also one of my other teachers, her name's Mallory Boy, and her um, Instagram name is is uh, Elskerb.stillet, which is kind of like, it's kind of hard to pronounce, but anyway, her website is called um his homebodyhealing.org mm. and um and she like I've learned so much of what I know from about embodiment in particular from her and social justice and mis- and mysticism and mm. like she's just incredible in all the ways so um I highly recommend yeah both of them I love that thank you so much I just feel like you're an abundance of resource and love and support and my prayer for anyone listening to this and my real why for bringing you on the pod is one to talk about, talk about embodiment and what you're doing, but two to remind people that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I think that was my biggest takeaway on this retreat is like, especially during COVID it got really, really lonely and really loud and social media is really detrimental in that way where I feel oftentimes it makes me feel more alone. And in these types of communities, in my retreat, I just hosted in your community, like there is no one alone and mm-hmm. you are not alone. And like you said, just reaching out to that one person that makes you feel safe and that one part, like, let it be me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, may we be your safe space. And that's what I really want this podcast to be is like a safe space to talk about these things and ask the hard questions and share the vulnerable stories. And also like, not to mention, this is also a business podcast and you're crushing it. You literally launched an embodied business company three months after you gave birth and it's just, everything's possible, you know? And so like, congrats on motherhood for Mm -hmm. both your baby girl, as well as mothering this community and your business. Cause you're crushing it. Mm, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. And I just love, love, love the work that you do in the world. And I just feel like, so I'm so grateful that we've maintained connection because you've been such an inspiration, especially when I got sober. Like I remember being newly sober and looking at your account and just being like, wow, what she's doing is so incredible. Like, and just being like, I want to be a part of that. And I want to know more and I want to watch your journey. And it's been, yeah, really inspiring for me too. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's fun to be staying in touch and on the path together and hopefully we'll have you back on and I I will put all Kaylee's links, website, Insta handles, everything you need in the show notes and you can find her. I highly recommend following her so much information. And again, in the way that my COO Katie makes finances fun, I feel that you make recovery, like not fun because healing isn't always fun, but accessible and lighter. Mm -hmm. And we bring a lot of heaviness to ourselves, our shit, our problems. And like, to me, the first step is like seeing somebody else that like is in resonance. So it's like, we're not alone. It doesn't have to be as heavy Mm -hmm. and yet it can still be very serious, but also very light and very like love and light. And I feel that you just are such a great balance of that. So mm, thank you. Hope you guys have the best day. And I mm, hope you guys are too. as inspired by Haley as I am. And she is a gift to us. Yeah. So yeah. And, and may you find peace and safety and love here. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, keep growing.